Our scripture passage today comes from Luke chapter 18. Hear God's holy and infallible word. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but to the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. we come to God's word, we need his help. We need his word to be active and illuminated in our hearts, convicting, correcting, instructing us, comforting us even. So we do that through prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the words that Jesus spoke and that they are alive and can speak to us today that they reveal who you are and what your kingdom is like. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says. Give us eyes to see your glory. May it have its full effect in our hearts. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So we are doing a sermon series on the parables throughout our preview services. This is our last preview service before our grand opening in September. And so there's a, there's a lot of parables we could choose. And, and this one in particular I thought would be helpful for us as a church as we're thinking about what it means to be a new church in a place like Fargo where there are churches on every corner. Most people have some connection to a church. Their families are here. They grew up in a church. And yet on every Sunday morning, Roughly 90% of people in Fargo are not in a pew. And what is the posture that our church should take as we come uh, with our message? What makes us different? This is a, a parable that you might be familiar with. It's one that I've probably referenced even in other sermons as we've gone through our series. It's, uh, it's well known. But I think too often we read it in a way that doesn't instruct us as it ought to. Uh, Jesus is really getting at two, there's two big themes for this passage. One is self-righteousness and one is justification. And we'll touch on both of those a bit. But this first one about uh, self-righteousness, if you look in verse 9, right, what's the definition of self-righteousness? He told this parable to those who were trusting in themselves that they were righteous. Couldn't get a more straightforward definition. Those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, self-righteous, and as a result of their self-righteousness, they treated other people with contempt. Have you ever met a self-righteous person? You know that guy who's always better than you at everything? 
the, the woman who is 100% correct about every fact and detail of life and will not take any sort of correction. Uh, the person who is morally superior to everybody around them. Uh, the self-sufficient individual who has no need of help. It's easy for us to identify self-righteous people, but I think part of the reason why it's easy for us to identify self-righteous people is because we are all prone to self-righteousness. We all look to our own actions, our own status, our own goodness as a way to exalt ourselves above others. It's part of our sinful inclination as those who are living out in this life where our hearts are torn because of sin in our lives. And assumed in this whole passage, as Jesus is telling it to these, who, these people who are self-righteous, is that we all need a righteousness. There's this need not to just be like a good dude in real life, but to be righteous before God. And that's what these two men are doing. They're coming into the presence of God in prayer, seeking to be made right. And too often, we seek righteousness in the wrong places. Too often, we are prone to self-righteousness. And self-righteousness has a couple effects. Some of them we're going to talk about as this passage illuminates for us. Uh, the, the first is that it alienates us from others. And we'll get into that in a second. But we're, I want to give you some background information before we get too far into the passage. So it tells us that a, a Pharisee and a tax collector go to the temple to pray. Okay, so they're going to the temple. This is where the presence of God is. And so to go to the temple is to draw near to God. To go and stand in the outer courts would have been where people would come to pray. But the presence of God was in this holy of holies inside of this, you know, you got to go in and then in. And nobody's really allowed to go in there. But it was this symbolic gesture at, at least, but a very real action to go to the temple, to draw near to where God's presence was, to be close, to see it far, far off, to say, that's where mercy can be found. That's where God dwells. So they're drawing near to God. And we're told that that's a Pharisee and a tax collector. And if you have been in church for any amount of time, you have heard about these two types of people. But we sometimes over-realize where we're at in the story. So when we think of a Pharisee, we don't have a very positive view. right? If I were to go over to your house after church today, Alan, and said... Alan, I think you're a Pharisee. We'd probably have to have, you know, like a come-to-Jesus moment together because that wouldn't be a very nice thing to say. We know, as we've read through the New Testament and heard the gospel, that Jesus rails against this self-righteousness that is often embodied in the Pharisees. Right? It's a bad word to us. But that would not have been the ears of the people who Jesus is talking to. See, a Pharisee at the time when Jesus lived was a leader, was a smart person, was a guy who had all of his life together. He knew the Bible inside and out. He was meticulous in how he followed God's law. In our context, a Pharisee would be somebody who would come into our church and we would immediately want to put them into leadership. These were highly esteemed people, the smart people, the guys who know what's going on, have the answers to the questions are an example for us to follow. This is what 
people would have thought when they said a Pharisee went to go pray. Of course a Pharisee goes to pray in the temple. That's what a good, God-fearing man ought to do. So we need to think and listen with that in mind. And secondly, tax collectors. Now this is as far to the opposite side as you could be of a Pharisee. So the Pharisee was the most loyal to the covenant, to the people of God, to Israel. The like, ideal image of what the Israelites should be. And a tax collector was a traitor. They were Israelites, but they had taken a job with the Roman government collecting tax money. I know you all really love to pay taxes. But can you imagine being oppressed by this government that is taking money from you, oppressing you, not, if there's this tension between you and this government, and then like your best friend is the guy who comes over and says, yeah, you need to give me all of the tax money for Caesar, and not only that, I'm going to charge you a service fee, because we all love service fees, and the service fee is just for him to get rich, because he's in a place where the Roman government has his back. And so he's not a poor and out kind of guy, but he's a rich and despised kind of guy. The one who's a traitor, who's, who, you know, he's not trying to follow any of the commandments. He's trying to make a buck off of your back. Perhaps in our context, the closest we could come is some sort of drug lord. Not somebody that we're seeking to emulate. Right? And so we have these two it's very strong, contrasted characters, and they're both coming into the temple to pray. And it might be surprising that the tax collector's coming. Unless he's looking for somebody who owes him money. And so when we get into this parable, we are told two prayers. Here is what we're told in verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I get. If we read this prayer, if we can do so with a little bit of objectivity, it doesn't seem that bad. It's cloaked in religious language. It's not a prayer that's unlike things we might say. Lord, thank you for blessing me. But we know because of how Jesus has structured this parable and that the author has told us that he told us the people who are self-righteous that there's more to the story. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Self-righteousness alienates us from others. It immediately creates an us-versus-them dynamic. I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer, I'm not even, especially not like that guy. Those are good things to not be. It's good to not be an extortioner. I'm not exactly sure that we would have that category in our context. Or to be an adulterer. We don't want to be like the scummy guy, tax collector. And it's good to fast. I didn't fast twice this week. I don't know if you did, unless you count when I skip breakfast. And it's good that he follows the commandment to give the tithe that's required to support the work of the temple and everything that's happening. 
He's doing good things, but it's caused him to become self-righteous. It's caused him to find his identity in those things. And when we begin to find our identity and our righteousness in our actions, in our morality, and in our religious actions, it makes us self-righteous and it makes us contemptuous towards others. To treat others with contempt, as verse 9 says, belittles others. And why would it not? If our standing is based on our actions, it's this performance that we're all doing. And if I've not become an adulterer, if I'm not unjust, if I'm not like a tax collector, he's got no excuse. He should be doing it too. If I can do it, you can do it. And because you aren't, I'm better than you. Right? That's, that's how self-righteousness works. Maybe we wouldn't say these things when we think about morality. He, he talks about not being an extortioner or unjust or an adulterer. We might say something like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like those people at my job who are lazy and untrustworthy and incompetent. God, I thank you that I'm not like other parents who don't do things the way I do, whose children are unruly. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. It's, it's in our hearts. It's always there. It's part of our sinfulness. And when we think of ourselves in these categories, it alienates us from others. He also talks about his religious activity. We didn't fast this week, but uh, we might say something like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like the people at that other church. Talked about planting a new church in town. It's easy to come and to start a new church and say, yeah, we're planting this church because all of the other ones are terrible. Self-righteousness. I listen to five podcasts a day. I read the Bible and I pray. I serve on the building committee. It's just as easy to take our religious activity and to make it into a checklist of things that make us better than others. And if you notice his prayer, if you notice prayers like the ones I've said, they have this repeated word, I, 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 I. It's all about me. Self-righteousness is so prevalent in our lives, in our hearts, in our churches, and it alienates us from others. But it does more than that. It also alienates us from God. Verse 13 tells us about a tax collector, and he is in contrast to the Pharisee. It says that the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. So think about the contrast here. You have this Pharisee who's like, I've done what I need to do. I'm in good standing. I'm going to walk up and be, you know, God, thank you so much. I just, this is the greatest day of my life. And he's just right up bold in the presence of God, trying to draw near. And then you have this tax collector who knows he's not supposed to be there. You know, he's just kind of looking in the door. 
And he knows the presence of God is over there. And he's supposed to be doing all of these things, maybe. And he knows that there's this great chasm of sin between him and a holy God. And he is like unwilling to even look like the sun is just too bright or something. And he won't even look up to heaven. And he's beating his breast in repentance and shame. And he's coming not to receive a reward for his own righteousness, but is seeking one thing. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He doesn't come with a list. He hasn't done the good things. He has been an extortioner and probably an adulterer, and he's unjust in how he deals with all of this tax collection for the Roman government. He's despised. He didn't fast. He didn't give any tithes. He probably stole some of yours. He comes and he seeks mercy. Jesus then says the shocking statement to his listeners. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. This man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. So the Pharisee in his self-righteousness, his own sense of not having need, having arrived, being content with his moral and religious life, not needing mercy, but kind of giving an update on how great he has been. We're told that he's not justified. He's turned away. The one, the guy that you thought would have been the ideal Israelite, this guy who's the leader in the church, goes to the temple to pray, and he's turned away. And the guy that you hate is justified. This is our second theme that, that I want to talk about, that Jesus brings up this idea of justification. It's very central to our understanding of how we draw near to God. How can we be made right with God? We have uh, very helpful documents in our church. There's a confession of faith and a catechism. The catechism asks questions like this because this idea of justification comes up a lot in Scripture. If you remember way back, Abraham was called out by God, and God made these promises to him, and we're told that he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was justified. Paul tells us in the book of Romans that the just shall live by faith. What does it mean to be just? Question 33 of our catechism puts it this way. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace. So it's an act of God, not an act of man. And it's free because it can't be earned. And it's one of the experiences of his grace. It's an act of God's free grace where he pardons all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. Now, that's a lot of words we're going to go through it a little bit. He pardons us of all of our sin. He forgives us of all of our sin and accepts us as righteous. 
only because of Christ's righteousness given to us, clothed over us. So the perfect sacrificial death is there for our forgiveness, and the perfect righteous life of Christ is given to us, and we are clothed in it, and we are accepted as righteous before God, that we can come boldly into his presence and be accepted, not because of our list of deeds, but because of what Christ has done, and because being united to him, we no longer have a sin problem, we no longer have a righteousness problem, we are seen through the lens of Christ's blood shed for us, and it's received by faith alone by trusting in him. That's what we have embodied here by the tax collector. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Coming and seeking mercy. Seeking a righteousness that's not his own. Seeking forgiveness that he does not deserve. Simple cry of faith that God can do the impossible for him. If we don't view ourselves as sinners, Jesus didn't come for us because he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to not save the righteous, those who are good enough on their own, but the unrighteous. The Pharisee doesn't need a savior. Do you? Who do we trust? Do we trust ourselves? Do we exalt ourselves? If we do, we will be turned away. We will alienate ourselves from others and alienate ourselves from the grace of God. But if we humble ourselves, Christ tells us that we will be exalted to a place that we don't belong in because we are united to a glorious Savior who has humbled himself to the point of even death on a cross and has been exalted to the highest place in heaven and earth. And we're seated with him as his adopted children, his brothers, his co-heirs. Think about the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We can't do that if we're self-righteous. Because we love ourselves with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. And our neighbors aren't doing a good job. But when we understand grace, when we get off of the performance narrative of our life, where we are just trying to do better than the person around us, make ourselves feel great, exalt ourselves, and instead bathe in the rest and grace that is offered to us in Christ. It gives us the grace to love him because he's given us a gift that's so great. And our neighbors, they're just like us. Sinners in need of mercy. And the people in the churches in Fargo that are laboring alongside us as we start our church, just like us, needy sinners. It's good to have 
our distinctives. It's good to fast and to give our tithe. It's good to have bright theology and expository preaching and all of the things that we love here. But we can't trust in those things. We must trust in Christ. He is our righteousness. May we be justified in him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for Christ, our righteousness, who clothed us with his perfect life and forgives us by his perfect death. Give us grace to turn from our self-righteousness and turn to him. May your spirit enable us to trust more and more in him and less and less in our own actions, our own strengths. God, be merciful to us, our sinners. Amen.